Hello, I'm Dan, and I'm Marley. I mean Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article each week, and we talk about what we find. Simon, what spooky things are we talking about this week? Well, Dan, in our inappropriately late Halloween spoopy special, we're talking about Parade of the Lost Souls. Ooh, this oh. is fitting. Now, am I right in saying that we have a new, we have a new specially designed system for this episode? For this episode, we have to thank the one. I definitely said thank with an F. Then um, nice. we have to thank the one, the only Dan Hanvey, who ha- on our Patreon linked us. A, a tool uh, which basically allowed us to um, search, like, randomise within a section of Wikipedia. So we randomised within the Halloween section of Wikipedia to find something extra spoopy. Oh, um, and we also have to thank Tapio for uh, that that un- alternative intro music, which mm. I am such a big fan of. Although... Full disclosure, before we started the episode, we were um, debating... We have two versions of the uh, of the intro music. Yes, we do. Um, let, me just, let me just play for you, dear reader, the alternative version, which um, the file name is Wikicast Halloween theme, bracket, 100% spooky Mr. Skeletal edition, dot mp3. Um, I'm just going to play you a little bit of this now. You can't scare me with this... I love to absolute pieces. It's, just, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty. Wonderful. Anything that uses a meme from the Matrix is immediately top tier. Absolutely. Uh, and so we, I think, I think Tapio said, um, yes, the beard got his friend Mr. Skeletal to play another version with his trumpet. Uh, Gosh. But be aware, it's incredibly spooky. I listened to it once, and I'm now permanently spooked. Um, we'll get back to the rest of Tapio's email, but thank you so much for for, for that one. We also have the your piece of the week as its own theme. Uh, which we we'll do, yeah. But yeah. we should probably talk about the article we randomised on. Um, so the the parade of lost souls mm. uh, is an annual event in Vancouver organized by Dusty Flowerpot Cabaret. Um oh, that's, that's, so <laughs> that's a lovely name. Uh, which took over in 2013 from the Public Dreams Society and takes place in East Vancouver Ooh. at a secret location disclosed the night before. It occurs the Saturday closest to Halloween. Although an annual event, it didn't occur in 2005 due to logistical concerns. Um, that's oh, that's nice. so sad. Um, so it was initiated by Public Dreams under the direction of founding artistic director Paula Jardine, and there's our website. The Grandview Woodland community participates in the decoration and cleanup of the event, sometimes blurring the line between performer, volunteer, and spectator. Participants often dress in costume, bring lanterns, and build shrines in Grandview Park. And that is as much information as the article contains. Wow. Um, there are a bunch of pictures. There's fire dancing at the Parade of Lost Souls in 2002, uh, which looks like a picture taken in 2002. Mm. And there's also a really interesting picture. Uh, participants symbolically burn their fear at the Parade of Lost Souls. So this has got a pan, like a, imagine like a wok, filled with what looks like kind of sort of charcoal uh, and a bunch of candles in it. 
And then people are literally just putting the pieces of paper with the word fear written on them into the fire and burning it. Right. So it's quite a, if in many ways, an anti-Halloween um, kind of thing. As opposed to an uncle. Yes, as opposed to Uncle Halloween, mm. which is just the uncle that uh, gets you to sit on his lap. Yeah. Um, wait, and uh, rummages in his pocket. For Werther's original. For Werther's original, yeah. Oh, I've just got to get... Uh, oh, they're really wait. deep down there. Oh. It's really deep in this pocket. Yeah. But it's nice, though, because he's got such a look of happiness on his face. He looks really calm and at peace, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Creepy. Yes. Um, I've got to say that this, this article is a wee bit disappointing because... Uh, there are so many spooky things about Halloween, and this this parade sounds very interesting. But I feel like I know nothing more. Well, how about... was how was your Halloween? Uh, well, my Halloween was spent in Amsterdam. Oh, very spooky! Uh, and you might be able to correct me on this, but as far as I could tell, the Dutch didn't do Halloween in any way. Yeah, it's not so. It's not from certainly when I was there. Oh, there's some. Um, there's some. Great tits on my uh, on my bird feeder. Uh, how big? Uh, pretty pretty great. Um, <laughs> they've been really good. So it's it's nearly half empty now. And we I, we put it up. It's been up for a couple of weeks. Sorry, this is just a brief aside into old man Dan's life. And I've been I've been wanting them to come and use it because it's getting colder and they need feeding. And but they're absolutely loving it. You've got to keep those that sweater meat under wraps. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to see they're using it. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I got a bit of a skewed view of um, of Halloween because obviously, so I went to the British school in the Netherlands. Um, so obviously with, with it being an international school, um, it's more of a thing because you've got mm. more American students. You've got this also, we, we, we live quite close to the American school in the Netherlands. Um, mm. And we had people who were American who lived in our neighbourhood, so they would go like all out and go absolutely mad for it. Um, but yeah, certainly to, to 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 the to best of my knowledge, it's not as big a thing. Whereas you know, we, the Dutch yeah, Dutch we, seasonal we, holidays come into their own when you get stuff like Sinterklaas and Zwarte Piet and and mm-hmm. just that whole you know effectively two Christmases and it, it's mad. Because we um we were there from from the thirty first till what like the third or something like that, and we didn't. I don't think we saw a single Halloween decoration or costume apart from we got, we had to go to Primark because uh, Pixel Girl uh, had forgotten to bring a hairbrush. So we we went to Primark and bought a cheap hairbrush, and that was the only place we saw any Halloween decorations. Mm. Everywhere else was already decked out in Christmas stuff. Yeah, well, we had it here. I mean, Marks and Spencer on the high street. No, not Marks and Spencer. Uh, Next on the high street had their big Christmas window done at the start of October, mm. which is just mental. I mean, um, it's... it's, it's it, Like, when when are you allowed to put up your Christmas decorations, do you think? Well, okay, so this is actually... I'm glad you've asked this because it's oh, been something that I've been I've been grappling with. So I would typically go... Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing now. The tree is definitely going to go up in the house earlier than it would normally because James, my housemate, isn't um, he isn't in Exeter for the entire time like I am because I'm here for the cathedral. So I have to stay longer and I stay right the way through Christmas so I don't get to go home. Hmm. Um, but because he's leaving later, we'll, come at, we'll, we'll, we'll put it up kind of earlier to kind of like compensate for that. I think if you're going to do it properly... The the tree should go up at the start of, I don't know, start of Advent maybe. So the start of December. Yeah, second. Yeah, second of December is the start of Advent this year. However, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to put the tree up 
If you say in November, I will come around and beat you with baubles. I okay, swear well, to God. I have, I have, a, I have my, my final deadline for all of, the, all of my essays, my last one rather, is I'm fairly sure on the 22nd. Now I'm thinking as a treat, I'm going <laughs> no. to put the tree up on the 22nd. Yeah, because it's just joking. such a nice. No, I think I'm deadly serious. You do um, realise, by the way, that we've done now a Dutch Halloween special, and that we're not actually talking about Halloween. We're now just talking about Christmas. Yeah. I've just also hilariously, I've so I googled Advent, and in the little kind of the the profile thing on the on the right hand side of the page, it gives you a little kind of card of handy information people also search for what's the date what's the significance in the significance it says preparation for the commemoration of the birth of jesus birth of jesus is hyperlinked that must be huge but yeah so i'm thinking of i think i'm putting i think i'm going to put it up a little earlier um just because it'll be a nice treat for getting all my deadlines in and uh should be nice and fun see like uh, in oxford there's a thing called oxmas which is, if, because the university is. term finishes so soon, before yeah. Christmas, it finishes at like the start of December, um, what colleges tend to do is celebrate Oxmas on the 25th of November so that you get like a Christmas with your university family. Uh, and then you also, of course, get Oxing Day on the 26th of November. Yeah. And that is an acceptable time to put up the Christmas tree for a bit and then it gets taken down like if you go around the like the jcrs in in oxford colleges i don't know if cambridge do this as well but like you will see christmas trees at the start of november that is the only place you should see them you should not see christmas trees until like the first week of december is the earliest that you should be putting it up i remember Mm. as a kid that you decorated the tree on the uh, the last day of school like before you broke out for Christmas, that was the day that I came home and decorated the tree with mum. Yeah. Which is normally like, what, a week, maybe two weeks before Christmas? Yeah, so in, certainly in our family, I think our tree would be up and decorated at the start of December. Um, right. But I think I'm going to do it slightly differently because I'm here and it might turn out really annoyingly that I don't actually get to go home at all um, because so the cathedral calendar very, very, very kindly gives um gives the choir off in between like the 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 16th of December and the 21st I think as a bit of time away before we get into like the long slog of of um Christmas in the church calendar um however because I'm a scholar I have to also sing with St Peter's singers which is this other choir and it turns out that they've managed to book in a Eucharist and a carol concert in between the two in between that holiday so I can't get I don't get to go home which is really annoying because I was quite looking for I had I'd started to kind of make plans with yeah, going obviously. back and doing things and I was going to go out with some some friends and actually get to see the family at Christmas which is quite nice so I'm uh, I'm currently waiting to hear back as to see whether whether I can get a dep in for this concert um, so uh- Returning to the, the the um the the topic of Halloween, right? right. So oh, yeah, that's the thing. yeah that is what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, I, I, my Halloween was in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and whilst the Dutch didn't do anything, I had one of the scariest experiences of my life okay. in Amsterdam. Uh, it wasn't actually on Halloween. I think it was the day after. A day after Halloween, um, which was uh, presumably you know Amsterdam. We went mm. there, you know, together. You know the Vondel Park. Mm-hmm. Pixel Girl and I decided that it would be a good idea to rent a tandem and okay. go cycling around the Vondel Park. Yeah. Now, have you ever ridden a tandem? No, I haven't. All I will say is, who was at the front? Pixel Girl was at the front. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and. 
Okay. If you are going to ride a tandem, make sure you have absolute faith in the person in front of you. Because I think you will agree with me that Pixel Girl is a relatively clumsy person. Yeah, there can be moments. There can be moments when she walks into things, drops things, forgets things. Um, I can guarantee you that if she's listening to this in the car, she has just gasped in indignation. But come on, honey, it's true. Um, And she was the one steering us. And I spent an hour uh, at the back, not able to see where we were going, constantly wavering from left to right to left to right sort of all over the path seemingly cyclists coming at us very close uh various pedestrians you know very very close by um completely unable to change the direction that we were going in and constantly feeling like i was about to have a horrific accident yeah and it was honestly terrifying as in i could feel after i got off the bike all of my muscles in my back just unclenched yeah um i had been cycling around permanently in a state of about to squeeze one out yeah um and just it was it was it was a real relationship trust builder i'll say that but i That's have good. no desire to positive do it spin. ever again yeah the positive spin is that we we finished the, the tandem ride stronger than we than we did before um that you know than we were before the ride but I would never want to do it ever again unless I was at the front. And even then, I don't think I'd want to do that because the thing is with bikes, like you're so used to having complete control for one thing. Obviously, it's a one-person thing. But also, you know, your balance uniquely determines the position of the bike. Like you're Mm. so used to the fact that, oh, if I move, the bike's going to move with me. Whereas no, 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 no. If you're on a tandem, that isn't true anymore. And the like that feeling of powerlessness is, is was awful. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Absolutely awful. And what was funny was I um I mentioned this to my mum um about about riding a tandem. She was like, "Yeah, I remember riding on a bike with four people, and it was awful." And I was like, oh "My God, what?" I'm also not surprised that your mum's done that. Yeah, she's Jilly, she's because Jilly is a bit of a hero. <laughs> she of course. Both she's... my parents have just. I'm never going to be as cool as either of my parents. No. It's just. I, I, she didn't even elaborate on where it happened or why. Like, <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder if this is like uh, her spy past for some reason, like a like a Roger Moore Bond film. She had to mm. had to take a ride in a, on a quaddum. Yeah, yeah what, quad quad quaddums, uh, of course, being well known for being inconspicuous and for blending in. Uh, hang on, I'm just going to Google bike with four seat. What do you call a bike? A four person bike? Oh, hang on, there's a whole wiki about this. Uh, oh, uh, we've, doing oh. this, we've been doing this podcast for this long. Are you really surprised that there's a whole Wikipedia no. article dedicated? No, I'm not. Okay, well, okay. Well, if there's if there's five of them, it is called a quint. Um, if there are three, it is called a trandom. Yeah, I knew um, that. I think because that's from that's what the goodies used to um yeah ride. Uh, hang on, four. Let me just. Uh, I think it's just called a quad. Quad parastes. Um, Fatchimonium. Yeah, uh, quads or cro- wait what what's that other word oh quadruplets right okay Spooky. so yeah my mum wrote one of those and, and, and was like yeah oh yeah I know I know how difficult that can be I did it with four people on a bike mm. it's like what the what the fuck mum but That's yeah, um, that was my spooky Halloween experience um, apart from that we had a lovely time in Amsterdam um, and went to we did some of the stuff that we did we went of course to the Rijksmuseum um uh, it, when we went to VidCon, 
And mm-hmm. so I took Pixel Girl around there, and she actually seemed to enjoy the art. She's not really a fan of art, but um, between that and the Van Gogh Museum, she um, really liked it. Nice. Uh, but yeah, that was my Halloween. What did you do on Halloween? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I I spent uh, I spent the day uh, pretty much just kind of bumming around, taking it easy. I wandered into town. I picked up some essentials for my costume. Oh, wait, uh, namely... wait. Well, before you go any further, I'm so sorry. I've just noticed something on this this wiki, which I must relay to you. Go for this it. This wiki about tandems. I will let you get back to your story. <clears throat> I'm just going to read you uh, the first sentence of the section terminology, because I love this. Okay. On conventional tandems, the front rider steers as well as pedals the bicycle and is known as the captain, pilot, or steersman. The rear rider only pedals and is known as the stoker, navigator, or rear admiral. That's awesome. So, <laughs> Pixel Girl was my captain. I was the rear admiral. Jesus. That is some amazing terminology. I, I love that. Anyway, sorry, as you were, I, I rudely interrupted. No, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, so I, I went into town and picked up uh, some fangs, uh, some makeup, um, and then kind of, I think I just basically kind of lost all interest at that point and said, oh, I can do the rest of a vampire costume at home. I'll throw something together. So I did that, and then fortunately, um, it was it was such a relaxing day. Some friends came over to. I was gonna. We were all gonna do our makeup together, and then head off to the big um, spooky preezies for cheesies, um, which was held <laughs> by uh, Mr. Wickham, which was which was tremendous fun. However, it was at that point I received. It, I'm gonna say it was about quarter to seven, and the the um, the prees started at about half past eight. I got a message from several people who sing in the cathedral choir uh and it was a tuesday saying old man are you um are you going to come to this rehearsal or, or are you just not turning up today oh, you and i went oh it. no so i forgot that obviously because it was a tuesday um we had a st peter's singers rehearsal but because the cathedral the cathedral had been on half term i wasn't already there so i've never had to actually consciously think of going um so I then, in the space of... Well, you know where we live in relation to the cathedral. I managed to out, be out of my front door and running down the nave in six minutes. That's um, impressive. Yeah, that I is, for, Dear reader, that flew. is impressive. Um, I just Especially for someone with such small legs. Yeah, it was just... I mean, it was... It was amazing. So I managed to get there and was there for more than half the rehearsal. Then came back, hastily did some makeup, and then headed off to... Uh, Headed off to Prees, which was very, very good fun. Um, we all had Cheesy's tickets, which was really great. I had to leave early because my ticket was was for ten thirty, and everyone else had eleven because I'm a pleb. Um, so I ended up on my walk along, finishing my bottle of wine uh, outside the service entrance to Boots in town, <laughs> feeling um, feeling terribly cosmopolitan. Um, and then, uh, yeah, had a really good night out. That was it. That was my Halloween. Very spooky. So, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did, did you go to the rehearsal in full get-up? No. So fortunately, I hadn't started my makeup yet. Oh, can you imagine? I was helping. I was helping Anna with hers, um, and then suddenly realised, oh shit, I've got to be at the cathedral. So legged it, and then I said I'd see them all later. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Well, because yeah. we should mention, of course, that we were in the same place. Um, we were in I the same place. And stayed next to on like two days before Halloween. Mm. Something like that. Um, yeah, because I was giving a talk in Exeter um, to the... It was actually the University Photonics Society about science communication. And my supervisor came. It was the first time I've actually seen my supervisor since um, having everything confirmed. So he was like, shook my hand and was like, Dr. Clark. And I was like, yeah! 
which was fun. Um, and yeah, g- gave that talk. But the night before, I stayed over. And can you relay what? Well, for one thing, actually, let me let me say before what you say what we did. Um, the the house now is unrecognizable from when I was there. It oh, is yeah. like Flanders and Swan decided to make a bachelor pad. It, mm. is, it was when you walk in the kitchen and there were like these six different pots of loose leaf teas, yeah. uh, which are just on the windowsill. There's the framed um, service sheets and framed, uh, uh, it's, it's the Trinity Te Deum in an audio form, like yes, an audio yeah. wave on the walls. There's the neatly arranged books. Um, everything about the, the house is now just spick and span and very clean. And we sat down at like 11 o'clock at night. And what did we do? I'm fairly sure we started watching quite a bit of Downton Abbey. Yeah, we started talking Downton Abbey. Yeah. Um, Which is a really fun game to play. It is. I I wonder if we should do commentary tracks. uh, I think we should. As like a Patreon exclusive. Because what was it? Can you? What's the? What was the character? The the female character who had a, an Atlantic accent. Oh yeah. Okay. So the wife of uh, the Earl of Grantham uh, is this American lady who he married for money, basically, but then actually realised that he quite likes her. Um, and she has this weird and and see, I understand what you when you say an Atlantic accent, and I get that that was a thing, but the accent that she's <laughs> doing is not an Atlantic accent. She's got this weird kind of, um, this kind of soft, oh God, I'm trying to think of a phrase to say that she doesn't have. So instead of saying girls, when she's talking to her children, she'll go, girls. Or uh, before the wedding, have you got any knives? Yeah. Oh, there's no, I'm going to go and see the girls. There's no need to be nervous. It's like, oh, it's (laughs) so frustrating. She sounds a bit like Trump. Um, Yeah, yeah, she does. And it's just oh, but I we hate were just it taking, with a fiery we were passion. The piss out of her so bad. And also the um the dinner scene. We watched what episode? The first episode of season four. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and it was the where they the Irish guy has slipped something. The Irish guy who sounds just like Brian from Real Engineering. Mm. Um, and he was slipped something to make him look drunk. And it was Maggie Smith's character who has just like put a massive smackdown on the guy who who doped him. And we were all just yeah. there like, boom. Bitch! Yeah, she's um, amazing. The Dowager Countess is an absolute hero. Tell you what, I, I would love to, to watch Downton Abbey and do a commentary track. Uh, mm. Like, if we can get in the same place, we could do like a whole, we could burn through like a whole season in a day and upload them to Sponge and Electric. I would, I'd love to do that because I've never seen it and I feel like watching it with you would be really entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's one for the, uh, one for the calendar. Because the thing is, I should say that I did bring my camera and I fully intended to, to film possibly the legendary KFC video but mm. or something. Um, then I realised that I brought everything with me necessary to um, make a video apart from a memory card. GG. So uh, that was why we didn't actually make anything. I'm terribly sorry, readers, that we didn't make uh, something with our faces in to put on the... Um, <laughs> on the... Um, on Sponge and Electric. But uh, next time, next time we will do something. Um, oh, that's a point, though. If you're not back in Oxford... Well, the next time you're back in Oxford, we'll have to do the Atomic Challenge, the um, the, the hot yeah. burger, because I'm very keen to do that. Well, I'm hoping to uh, try and sort something out. I'm just going to have to wait and see when I can actually... Um, if I'm actually allowed to ever go home. <laughs> if you never see your family again. You're a child of God now. Yeah. Although we both need to get better before we try and ravage our bodies with a spicy sauce, because you're coming down with something. 
Yeah, well, I imagine actually this the whole spicy thing will probably do me some good. You know, like that's why they always go on about like chicken noodle soup's a really good thing to have when you've got a cold because mm. it's so full of it, like it just it hits your body with so much stuff. And spice is really good because it makes your nose run and it helps flush your kind of head out. Um, there's actually a really cool place I want to go into town. It, it does. Um, now I think it's called Pho instead of Pho. It's written P H O. It's the Vietnamese. Oh yeah, noodle soup. Pho or something pho. like that. Yeah. Pho. Um, yeah, there's a f place in it's town. It's the sound of like a silent fart. Yeah, you know where it doesn't f. like rip; it just goes. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, that. there's a there's a f place in town um, that I'm quite keen to go to. So I might go. I might go down maybe later, before uh, or maybe go after even snog. Even snog. Oh, everyone's yeah. favourite snog. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. You possibly would do you some good. I've got a chest infection at the moment. So the episode two weeks ago, when uh, I was coughing all over the place and I barely made it through, um, that that's still a thing. I'm still not not very well. I'm not coughing as much as I was. Aww. I went to the doctors and I'm on a course of antibiotics. Which, He's a sick which, boy. Yeah, I'm a sick boy. I haven't been able to go to the gym for ages. I feel a bit like down because of that. And like I've been coughing so much that I I think I pulled some muscles in my back. So I woke up the other day and I was like, my chest, I had chest pains. My back was in pain. I was coughing and I was like, I'm a functional human being. I yeah. can still work. Um, because apparently my, my definition of being able to work is the same as Theresa May's. Um, yeah, strong and stable. Yeah. Well, my lungs are anything but at the moment, which would yeah. explain why we get on so well with Danvi, I suppose. Um, yeah. So, sorry. sorry. Uh, I, we love you, Danvi. Like, the fact that you take the piss out of having cystic fibrosis is, is what gives us the all clear to do so. Yeah. Um, but, so, we, should we move on? If That's the end of the spoopy section, I think. Ooh. Uh, to be fair, because the article was a bit of a damp squib anyway. Um, mm. Would you like to move us on into... Oh, now we have a jingle. Do you want to move us on into Dan's Choral Piece of the Week? I absolutely will. <laughs> And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Tapio, I f-ing love you. Oh, my lad. <laughs> we, what okay. did we do to deserve you, man? Oh, we're, we're, some, we're some lucky boys, that's for sure. So, what is your choral piece of the week, Daniel? So, my choral piece of the week is a little bit of a larger one this week. Um, Ooh, I, I, I had the privilege of singing a special uh, Requiem Eucharist service uh, last Friday with St. Peter's Singers um, for um, the um, Faithful Departed. So it's a day, it's a couple of days, it happens after All Saints Day, and it's a day just to basically remember those who have died. It can be... Mm through 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 war or just a day to remember loved ones who have been lost um so it's a really moving service massively attended in the cathedral and bearing in mind the cathedral is currently just swimming in poppies because they have all the displays on and there's some woman in devon who's knitted like thirty thousand things and it's all they've lined like the back end of the cathedral it looks spectacular there's also a weird life-size plastic horse and a headless mannequin dressed in world war one uh Uniform. Yeah, as some people have put it, remembrance has become slightly war Christmas. Yeah, um, in terms of decorations, which I do feel a bit uncomfortable about. It was a bit strange, but but what wasn't strange was the lovely service, and and from what we can understand, it was really appreciated. We've had lots of really good feedback, but the piece that we sang, the requiem we sang, was the Derufle requiem. Oh, that's very nice. That's very nice, especially given that over the past, I'd say, month and a bit. I've sung the foray requiem about four times with various different 
choir is just and, kind and of it's a great in. piece of music but it is a bit overdone it's wonderful and it's it's accessible um and you know and there's definitely the thing to remember too is that there are nods to um foray in the derufle so that you can't like you can't be too elitist about it um however the derufle is just such a joy to sing because it's so exciting and so different um so my yeah. piece of the week would be the uh the derufle requiem in its entirety sit down have a um put some good headphones on pour yourself a nice drink of of, of tea coffee or something stronger should you so wish it um and and have a listen and it's it truly is it's sublime sublime piece of music i'm just going to ride on this the coattails of this section very briefly because mm. this is this will be coming out um the day before Rem- remembrance sunday so yes. the actual centenary of um uh the armistice in 1918 18, yeah. um and i would like to put in my piece of the week which i've been listening to a lot because it's an, a sublimely beautiful piece of music, but it's also very, very appropriate for remembrance, um, which is Exhortation, uh, out of Kohima and Exhortation, uh, by John Taverner. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a link to both these pieces in the description. It is a very short piece of music. It's only like two and a half minutes long or something like that. Um, but it is one to listen to in a quiet space uh, when you are uh, at rest um, and with some really good headphones and just really listen to it and it is so simple and it is staggeringly beautiful mm. uh, and you know it really communicates the sense of um loss of a generation mm. uh, in the first world war uh one of my favorite composers and just one of my favorite pieces of music i think i think it's astonishing but yeah that that's uh, I, I i i i'm sorry for intruding on your corner should no we? no always but that was a very little brief corner this but should we should we now hop on over to critics corner oh man i feel like a train conductor yeah choo 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 motherfuckers what are you going to criticize this week what, what have you watched or read or experienced that you would mm. like to criticize i'm just thinking because it oh Goodness gracious! His brains Great have fallen out. Of fire. Um, oh no, it's my it's my back gate key, which isn't a euphemism. Um, <laughs> what is the key to your back gate? Is it gin? No, it's a it's a big old you know the, the big old long boy keys we had that we never used because we could never use the back gate. Oh. Um, we can actually use it now. So James and I ended up end up using that quite frequently because we've met we've cunningly removed so there's some behind our gate there's kind of like a walkway and then a fence and then you can in theory if that fence wasn't there you could jump down and just walk out onto onto another bit of road that gets you into town much much faster what we've done is we've taken the nails out of three of the fence posts but as in out of the kind of main body of the fence, but left the nails in the planks. So you can kind of lean them up on the fence like they're still there. And it looks like just a normal fence. But then when we go through, we just remove three, walk out and then put them back. And it's kind of like a secret little, uh, little entrance we have there. It's quite fun. Um, Critics corner. Do you know, I'm not really sure I've seen a great deal. I've, I had a, I had a chat with my mother, um, I'm not going to review her. Um, but <laughs> Best mother she, you've ever had. I mean, she, I think your mum's great. Uh, she Dan's went, mum has, in fact, got it going on. Yeah. She um, she went and saw the Freddie Mercury, or the Queen, biopic, uh, which I know that you've seen as well. So maybe yes. uh, maybe that might be a good, a good, a good way to, to pass the baton on to you and tell me what you think. 
Uh, well, uh, I thought... So I, I saw it in Amsterdam, actually. It was, there was a day when it was pissing down with rain and we just thought, balls to it, we'd just, just go see a movie. Um, and I actually saw two biopics this month. and uh, Well, the past like two weeks or so. And they contrast very neatly with each other. Um, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, which is the mm-hmm. Queen uh, biopic. And I saw First Man, mm. uh, which is about... Um, uh, Neil Armstrong. Now, the, in many ways, they are like polar opposites to each other because I think F- First Man is a better film, for one thing. I think that First Man is about a two and a half or maybe a three out of five, yeah. whereas um, Bo Rap is a two out of five at, at best. Um, what Bohemian Rhapsody did was it was a very nicely made... Um, as in the camera work was good, the casting was spot on, um, the music, of, like kind of obviously, was fantastic. Um, it was a very well made film, but it added absolutely nothing to a story that almost everybody knows. Mm. You know, like everybody knows about Queen. Everyone knows that Freddie Mercury was like the greatest rock star of all time, and he got AIDS and he died, uh, and that he was, you know, a bit of a he had he had an interesting life, mm. but. Other than the individual details of, oh, this was the guy who, you know, basically Freddie Mercury over and kind of betrayed him. Um, Like, I didn't really, it it didn't tie into any broader themes in society. So it didn't address, like, the AIDS crisis in in the 80s. Uh, Like, it it touched on it in the sense that, oh, by the way, you now have AIDS kind of thing. Um, and, And, you know, it didn't tie into uh homosexuality and bisexuality and sort of how that sat in culture like at all mm. um the only thing which it kind of touched on on a deeper level was his relationship with his father um and you know like fathers were kind of a theme throughout the film mm. but it just utterly failed to say anything really yeah that's it was exactly enjoyable, what, exactly but... what my mum said she think i mean simon messaged me earlier in the week saying two out of five and I said, well, when I go and see it, I imagine I'll probably end up giving it a three out of five because that's usually <laughs> how we review things. That's usually the difference. Yeah. Um, I would say, from what I've heard, that performances on screen are sublime. Oh, they're great. Apparently, Especially they're really good. the guy who is Brian May. It's In which case, if the performances are good and it's well shot and the music's great, but there's an, there's an issue with writing and, and just general, what was the Dur- point of making direction, it? general direction, I think. Then I think then I think you could probably... It's hard to give it lower than a three because that's doing a bit of an injustice to the performers. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know. Um, it depends what you think the function of the film is, really. I feel like if, if, I, if I went in and I was like, I want to see a recreation of the Live Aid gig that they did in mm-hmm. like cinema quality, then five out of five, absolutely perfect. Can't fault it for that. But as a film... It it just yeah. It, it, I think something your mum said was that it. I don't know why this exists. Yeah. It's like, I, and I totally get that. It's like I don't really see what they were trying to do with this film. No. Um, whereas First Man was a really fascinating look at what made Neil Armstrong tick, and effectively delving very deeply into the fact that he, he pretty clearly had Aspergers. Mm. Um, Aspergers. I'm not quite sure you're supposed to pronounce it. Um, and, you know, he, he was incapable of communicating with his wife and his children on some very important topics, like, are you going to die on going to the moon? Um, and, it's, you know, that, that was really, like, it added a lot to my understanding of the space race. 
Yeah. In contrast to Bo Rap not adding to my understanding of Queen. And the other thing I should point out is that Bo Rap, I, I looked this up afterwards, they just invented a bunch of stuff. Like mm. they just changed the facts. Like they made it they made it out that Queen broke up, which they never did. Um they made it out that um like the way that he fa- he met his partner uh, was completely different. Um the way that he met his girlfriend at the start of the film was completely different. The way that he joined the band was completely different. And it's a bit like you know, you've, what you've done is effectively tried to do a recreation of events, but you f***ed even that up. So yeah. like, well, it's, I think know. it's probably something that reeks of studio involvement, you know, surviving members of Queen, like Brian May, wasn't he an executive producer? Uh, I think both him and Roger Taylor were, yeah. Yeah, so I think there's going to there's been, you know, too many cooks spoiled the broth. I think it's probably quite true of this, um, this, particular, mm. uh, this particular piece of... Uh, piece of filmmaking i think it's most comparable to um talking about churchill the film ah yes and 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 darkest Darkest hour Hour, the film darkest hour i thought was both both films have superb performances i think both films are very well shot um in terms of actual kind of cinema in the practice it's they're both great in terms Mm. of cinema in the making uh, Churchill just wasn't fleshed out enough. It didn't have enough of a point. It didn't have anything really to say. It was telling a very niche story in a very brief amount of time. Whereas, con- you know, contrast that with Darkest Hour, it was just far, far deeper, and at both both deep in kind of depth and breadth of of the narrative. Um, I mean, the thing, the other thing which I should mention um, about First Man is talking about cinema in the making. Um, I, I would have loved First Man a great deal more if they shot it differently. And I think I mentioned yes. this to you already. Yes, but yeah. it, it, well, the whole thing was basically shot on very shaky cams, on long lenses, uncomfortably zoomed in. Now, I yeah. don't know if that's an artistic decision to try and convey what it was like from Neil Armstrong's perspective. Um, you know, this is what the world looks like if you view it in that way. Then like, I yeah, like get prying eyes, maybe, and and this kind of sense of pressure. And but that only makes sense if the scenes which didn't include him weren't shot that way, and they were. And the mm. other thing which I said to you, I think, was that if if they were contrasting the claustrophobia of being in space capsules um, compared to being on the ground with the tight close-ups in in the spacecraft kind of yeah you get that claustrophobic i want to see what's outside the frame kind of feel yeah if they did that and then on the ground it was wide shots and much more comfortable then that would have been very effective but they didn't do that yes there were more wide shots on the on earth but everything still was just really like awkwardly close up Mm. um and i just really i really didn't like that aspect of it everything else about the film apart from the music was a little bit strange choices at a few cases like they used a theremin which i can kind of understand because that was what the at the time like sci-fi things you know like a return for the forbidden planet that kind of thing um that's that was used in the soundtrack but like it took me out of the movie a bit everything else about it i really liked um ryan gosling was great um as was claire foy um Mm. in the two in the two main roles but just yeah kind of two films which were sort of in stark contrast to each other really Tell you what I did, I just remembered, I did end up f- watching for the first time, and it's been bloody ages. It's a crying shame that this is the first time I've only seen it. Um, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, now what did you think? That was really, yeah. It wasn't as good as the first one. Um, do you think? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I didn't, I, I really, really liked it, but it didn't leave <laughs> me with the feeling the first one did. 
I think the first one was almost more art house. Yeah. Um, than, than, than the second, but still very good. Like I give it four out of five. I mean, I, I think it's one of the best sequels ever. I, I, mm. I, I like, I think back to when I walked out of it, I was just blown away by, by 2049. Mm. Um, it was its own. I, I watched a great video essay about it actually, which kind of put it into neat words. It's like, it works as its own standalone film inspired by the previous one. It's not a direct sort of continuation or trying to remake the first one, yeah. which was quite refreshing for cinema these days but mm. oh i love blade runner 2049 the only thing have which you... could have been better is if they hadn't gone with hans zimmer for the soundtrack and they'd stuck with johan johansson yeah because johan johansson's music perfectly fits the aesthetic of blade runner and i can't think why they changed to hans zimmer yeah. like that that baffles me but oh, I oh i'm glad you've seen it. i don't suppose you've seen the trailer for the new live action aladdin no, I haven't. That's the Guy Ritchie they, one, right? They released a teaser. Um, you don't really get to see much at all, but um, I I imagine it's going to be an incredible visual spectacle, but I have mm. my doubts over... I'd actual... love it if it's... Because it's Guy Ritchie. If it was done like lock stock and everyone yeah. had like real Cockney accents. Yeah. It's like, touch nothing but the lamp. <laughs> You're like, oh, right, you're welcome. Goes in, like, goes into the cave. I would love that. Like... Uh, it's it Will, Will Smith is the genie. Yeah, which I think could work, to be fair. I think he's one of the very few people who has the charisma to pull off like their own performance and not just trying to imitate Robin Williams. Like yeah. he is Will Smith is possibly the world's most charismatic man. Yeah. You know, I can't think I'm of anyone worried else. that they, it's he's gonna make it too much of a gimmick because it's gonna be so different, like, from Robin Williams' performance that it's going to be because it's Will Smith, they're going to try and tie in some kind of like the the genie's now going to be really quite hip and and kind of do you know what I mean? Yeah, what well, you're thinking? Are they going to go for the American demographic of like? Yeah, that's my yeah. worry. Um, what, what what George Lucas did by putting um, Samuel L. Jackson in um, the Star Wars prequels? Abs- absolutely, yeah, brilliant analogy. Yeah, that's my that's my biggest concern. But we shall see. Yeah, we shall, we shall. Oh, um, the, the, uh, before we, I was about to move us on. Um, I just remembered. Um, I have now got about a hundred pages into the Name of the Wind. Ooh, and I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. I've got to say, yeah. I, I, it does. The stuff which has irked me so far is the stuff which generally I have a problem with with high fantasy, which is just like introducing your character as being so exceptional, mm. and it's like oh, the sword was mounted on the wall. This sword had, had killed a thousand such and such, and it, it gleamed with an intensity that was dull, but at the same time bright. Mm. And it's like just it. It's so. It, it 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 like stands out from the reality that's been constructed in the rest of the novel. Yeah, um, it's indicative of the genre. I think you're right. There is a there yeah. is a certain um, not so much pretension but grandiloquence with high fantasy. Um, it, yeah, stick do stick with it. And Anna, um, oh, Anna's I will. Like, I'm it enjoying. She really it. likes I, it. I, I am. I'm really really enjoying it. And I could pro- I can tell that I'm going to finish this in quite short order. They um, um, they start with those points at the very beginning because the story that you get through most of it is completely different. I will say that. Yeah, I've, I've got to the first sort of point where it leaps back out of him telling the story. Like, they're, they're okay. back in the inn, like in the yes. chapter I'm about to start. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad you're liking it. Yeah, no, I mean, because you, you raved about it, um, I remember. Like, you devoured it in like a... Yeah. How long did it take you to read? Not, like not a, long at all. It it's was like a 700-page book. Yeah, I flew through it. And I, I'm yet to start um, the second one. It's still sitting on the shelf, but I'm sure I will come the end of deadlines and things. Mm. 
because I've got that and I'm, I'm reading um, I'm, I'm now rereading A Brief History of Time for the book club in like a, a month's time ah. um, and I've got Homo Deus sat judging me from the top of yeah. my um, fixing you with an imperious gaze yes being like read me you little bitch go on <laughs> the first one was so impressive but like you know I can't help but worry that the um, the, the, the sequel is going to be a little bit of a letdown but yeah you know, it's always going to happen. But um, mm. I think that that was all that uh, I have to review, unless you'd okay. like to add anything. No, I think I'm. I think that's that's me done. Okay. Well, shall we now pop on over to Patreon, Patreon corner. Top lad. So we find ourselves once again in Patreon corner. This is the time where the podcast where we'd like to say a massive thank you to our top lad subscribers specifically these amazing people give five dollars a month to help the podcast keep being a thing um that includes our kind of our hosting and our wikipedia do- donation um the money we use for merchandise and the potential travel plans that simon and i may have um to to kind of meet up with each other and do more exciting live action things uh, so without further ado i'd like to say a massive spooky thank you to ben dent Ben McMurtry, Billy Toulson, the frighteningly generous Bryce D. Wilkins, Choco Cat and Connor Levers, the positively spoopy Dan Hanvey, Davishram Vontobel, and Elliot Conway, the bone-chilling Eric Davis, Habiba Amjad, and Henry Brewster, the blood-curdling Isabel Ostrowski, Jay Wright, and John Mannion. The Student Loans Company-esque Geordie Eschendahl, Kyle Much and Lachlan Woods. The Thriller Music Video Extras, Lewis Watson, Marut Vakira Punyawat and Matt Maguire. The people in the street who want to talk to you, but you don't know them, but they're doing a charity thing, which seems to be a good thing, but you don't really want to talk to them. Fee Gascoigne, Rory Healy, and Simon Torseth. I think they want to do some form of time warp. It's Tapio Kirkinen, the Mustache Man, and Whitney Fairies. Her name's Fairies! Whitney Fairies. Lad, amazing. Brilliant. That's a winning name. And wonderful Stephen. And you wonderful can't make, Stephen. You, you can't make wonderful sound spooky. There's nothing, you can't. Is there anything that's spooky that's wonderful? No. No, oh, there you go. Well, thank you, wonderful Stephen. It's a contradiction in terms. Well, thank you very much to, to everyone who supports the podcast. You make this whole thing possible. You justify our existence. And yes, hopefully soon we're going to be able to put some of this money, which has been sort of adding up month by month because a lot of it goes straight out the door for hosting into the Wikipedia donation um, but yeah every month a little bit just gets put away and that's hopefully now going to pay for some train tickets for us to go and uh, film uh, something for Sponge and Electric uh, in the Ooh. coming future but we've got to say still disappointing on the Team Cat and Team Dog front you know mm. 36 still... to 27 I just I'm beginning to lose hope, really. I'm beginning to lose hope that Team Cat is ever going to catch up to Team. And Dog. that's such a cat. That's such a cat view. It is know? such a cat thing to do. But for a dollar a month, guys, if you want to go to the patreon.com forward slash the wikicast and donate a dollar a month to Team Cat, help us with our hosting, support Wikimedia, and uh, potentially, if we reach five hundred bucks a month, uh, get down a gimp suit, then uh, do that, please, because it would make me happy. Uh, it makes me happy to beat Dan in any form of popularity contest. So. <laughs> Please do that. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.
So we're in Crisis Corner, and this week, according to our slightly new uh, way of handling this, uh, this this section of the podcast, we're going to briefly review uh, the crisis from the last episode, which was from uh, a no-no moose, uh, specifically talking about whether they were going to do a maths degree, a maths and computer <laughs> science degree, or potentially changing and looking at philosophy, um, because they, they've always enjoyed reading and writing, um, and they want to do more of that in their degree. Um, and they had so big we were, bollocks. I seem to remember was the yes, I believe, I believe, I believe that was uh, one of your uh, one of your descriptors, uh, and then I think also yes, uh, and social anxiety too. So not quite sure whether the change just because they want to would work well because it'll be so different and 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 yeah. But thankfully, we've had some amazing uh, respon- uh, responses from you, uh, we so have. Simon. If you'd like to kick us off, well. Writing in to uh, spongyelectric at gmail.com with the subject line crisis response, uh, we have a nonny moose. Uh, first things first, as I am Canadian, I respectfully request to be referred to as a nonny moose. Well, a nonny moose, you've got your wish. I am currently in my final year of uni and have changed my field of study a few times, so I believe I can provide some insight here. First, I want to say that it is very difficult to predict whether you will enjoy studying something until you are actually studying it, as having an interest in something does not necessarily translate to being academically suited for it. Uni is a wonderful time to experiment with different areas of study and see what you like. I'm not sure how uni in the UK works, but in Canada, there is room in your first year to try out multiple areas of study and see what you like. If this is the case in the UK, I recommend doing some maths, computer science and philosophy to see how you feel about it. If there's not much room to explore, then I recommend taking the new route, maths and philosophy. I'm a big believer in trying something new instead of sticking with something, in this case, computer science, only because it was part of your original plan. You need to give yourself room to grow as a person, and this often requires change. If you find that philosophy isn't for you, then you can reevaluate later. As for the social anxiety, I can relate. My advice is unsatisfying, but honest. Tell your family. I know that that's much easier said than done, but at the end of the day, there's not much else to be done about it. Keeping it a secret or being manipulative will only cause unnecessary stress and guilt. Support from your family is wonderful, but at the end of the day, this is your life, and you don't need to be secretive about it in order to protect others how others view you. I hope this has been helpful. Yours truly, Anonymous. On Anony, I think that's some stellar advice there. Absolutely, I yeah. I, I 100% agree with everything Anonymous has said. Yeah, particularly being open with your parents. A big believer in trying to in trying something new. Yep, talking about it. Um, yeah, I think Anonymous is pretty spot on there. I mean, obviously, things are complicated by the social anxiety. And, you know, Anonymous has said this is unsatisfying advice. But, like, I think it's bang on. I I feel like you've just got to try and uh, take those big bollocks, nut them up, and just sort of go for it. And just say you've got to, you know, talk to your your parents about it and not try and hide away your decisions. Um, Mm. There's a a really nice quote, actually. I think I I might have mentioned it in the podcast before, actually. It was like Eleanor Roosevelt, who was like, you have to do something every day that scares you. Mm. Make that the thing on on whatever day you choose to do it that is going to scare you. Um, You know, talking to your parents about it. Um, And yeah, like, this is where the university system in the UK has kind of screwed us a little bit in the sense that we don't have that flexibility. Um, But so basically the the nub of of what Anonymous was saying was go for um, the maths and philosophy. Mm. So you do get that kind of flexibility. Because you can change mid-flow in the degree. Um, 
and particularly with joint honors i imagine there's a lot more flexibility mm-hmm. but that's that's some great advice i think from anonymous um do you have another response to uh, no no moose however yes uh we have here uh oh god what's it gonna be uh it's addressed to a no no moose however it's signed off from annie mouse annie <laughs> mouse um says, Dear dear Anono Moose, I went through a similar crisis of faith in my subject a while ago, and having got through it, I think I might have some helpful advice. First things first, it's a good thing that you're going through this now. I know it probably feels like an overwhelming issue. I probably would have felt the same way. But you have plenty of time to decide what direction you want to take. A lot of my peers didn't decide what degree they wanted to take until a few weeks, the last few weeks of year 13. The last thing you should do is put off the issue and follow through with what you think others expect you to do and end up having these concerns a few weeks before you take your A-levels like I did. I know uh, what it's like to think uh, uh, like you've fallen out of love with the subject you you thought you would always uh, want to do, but in my case it turned out to be a blip. The A-level curriculum may be uninspiring to you or might feel like slightly ahead of, um, or might make you feel like you're slightly ahead of your peers, so it's worth doing some further reading around the subject, which you should be doing anyway if you're considering a degree. Uh, This may well uh, reignite your interest in CS, so I recommend thinking about what aspects of the subject you'd like to know more about, or if there are any individuals in the field whom you admire. I'm not sure how much scope there is for this this in CS, but I'm sure you'll be able to get beyond the A-level curriculum somehow. Don't worry about losing philosophy forever if you don't take it at university. As you get further into the course, it's true that you'll have less time to read outside your course. However, in my experience, you can get a lot of reading done in the summer holidays or simply by setting aside a few minutes at the end of each day to read something a bit different. Depending on what university you go to, you may also have the opportunity to take a a unit from another department. Um, So definitely research these options when picking universities. Obviously, there are other options like documentaries, YouTube, or I don't know, The Good Place-ish. Yes! Absolutely ish ish very much ish um you'll definitely be able to continue debating at university so don't worry about that there will and there will almost certainly be a society which will welcome you no matter what subject you're doing Uh, there may be uh, other discussion-based societies such as activist groups if you're into that sort of thing or something like model un these are great ways to develop analytical skills as well as making friends if you still want to change direction which is of course entirely valid then the sooner you tell your family the better i don't want to make any assumptions about the dynamics in your family so i could be well off the mark but it's easily the sort of thing that gets built up too much in your head compared to how others will react the best advice i can give here is that if you hint that it's something you're considering now without having fully made up your mind then it'll probably be much easier than dropping a completely unexpected bomb on them. In short, don't panic. And that's from Annie Mouse. I think that's some great advice. Again, I, I feel like the, the commonality there about talking to the family, mm-hmm. sort of good that that's been reiterated because I think that is that is very important. Mm. Um, definitely, yeah, the, the debating point was something which I've missed actually um, in the, the previous response. But yes, you will absolutely be able to do um, debating at university. Uh, there are Exeter, for example, there was a very active debating society. There was also an MUN society, I think, separate from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there, there are plenty of opportunities to do that. I think generally speaking, it is easier to study a humanities subject in your spare time as a, a science student than it is for a humanities student to try and study science in their spare time, if that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like with philosophy... Um, it is very, very possible to do that in your own reading. It is very difficult to replicate the knowledge, you know, contained within a computer science degree or a physics degree or a maths degree um, outside of the classroom. Um, So I think that's quite a pragmatic way of looking at things. Like, you know, if you want to get the information from both philosophy and computer science, for example, then 
stick with computer science and you can you can read philosophy on the side i mean what sorry what do you think dan i think i'm leaning towards uh a no no moose taking maths and philosophy yeah i think i bit that especially because that would be such a fast that would be such a fascinating combination of subjects yeah, oh yeah definitely i mean the, there, was, there was there was a course at oxford that did maths and philosophy and also maths and physics Sorry, sorry, yeah. um, sorry, physics and philosophy. And I, I could just not understand how some, some of those people functioned. They were yeah. just so clever. And I guess, you um, know, like with any with any uni that offers a flexible combined honours degree or combined honours degrees, you'll be able to find those pairings too. Um, I mean, I, I feel like maths and philosophy is the most flexible because it, if you do then want to specialise into one um, honour rather than, you know, over the other, then, mm. you, can, then you can do so. Um, but actually, sorry, we do have one more response, I should, I should point out. Um before before we kind of give our final say um <laughs> um this this comes from anony mike myers um nice great great name uh who writes hello anonymous as someone who has gone through a similar challenge in choosing what to study here are my two cents or whatever the conversion to your intellectual currency is i think our intellectual currency is thai bots isn't it yeah i think so for this podcast uh don't stress too much about choosing the perfect degree. I was a literature buff throughout most of school, but in later years started enjoying maths and physics far more. I enrolled in a maths and physics degree at university and completed a year before changing to finance and a law degree. Oh, sorry, a finance and law degree. In my spare time, I compete in debating and philosophy competitions. I also read extensively at the moment about medieval history and the history of modern finance. What is a philosophy competition like? How does that even work? I don't know. It might be like a... um... Oh, we used to do them at school. What are they called? Oh god, I've had a complete blank. Um, what did you do in them? They would see, they'd, they'd be a there'd be a series of questions uh, or like a task to complete, and you had to think around think think about a possible solution for it. It has got a specific name. It's called an exam. No, no. Um, it's like specif- it's philosophy specific. Um, a wanky exam. No, it's something Latin. I'm really pissed off. I can't remember it now. Hang on. You, <laughs> right, you, you, I'll finish you, reading the rest of the email. You go on and I, I'll um, be able to find this by the end of the, by the end of the thing. While you'll be spending a significant amount of time doing the classes for your degree, it does not mean that you have to drop all your other passions. In fact, in the earlier years of your degree, you may find yourself learning more about the topics outside of your degree because you're not just stuck to introductory courses that you're required to take. Go with what your gut says and you and what you think you might want to do as a career. But remember, it's not super uncommon for people to change degrees after a couple of semesters. I hope this helps, and Nonny Mike Myers. Well, that's it. That, that's that again. It's a very practical advice. Of um, you know, people do change degrees all the time. I know several people personally who have. Um, mm. And depending on where you are, you will have a lot of time to do stuff outside your degree. If you're at Oxbridge, for example, you might struggle with that because you will be doing an awful lot of stuff in your degree. Um, but uh, you know. It is possible, very, very possible, to continue your interest on the side. I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, I my, I keep my interest in running a YouTube channel running alongside a PhD. So if I can do that, you can definitely read philosophy, for example, on the side. Um, I think, bearing in mind all this advice, I think the two <clears throat> nuggets of information that I would convey, as my opinion, would be, one, tell your parents. Just talk to mm. them straight away about it. Um, you know, be honest about this is what you want to do. You know, and 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 what Anony Mike Myers said about following what you want to do as a career. You don't necessarily have to know that. I feel like just go with your gut about what you think you want to do. Full stop. You know, yeah. what you are going to find interesting. And on a practical perspective, the maths and philosophy degree 
sounds like I like I I feel like um, I feel like that's going to be the right way to go because if it turns out that you do some computer science on the side and you realize actually I really would prefer to do that, maths is sufficiently close to computer science that you could probably switch courses. I mm. think um, so. You know, I, I I think that would be my advice would be to go for the maths and philosophy degree. Um, although it will be tough, I'll definitely say that. What do you think, Dan? Also, have you remembered the name of this thing? No, I'm really, really annoyed. I can't. I'm just kind of looking. I think, um, I think, like you say, there there are more transferable skills between maths and CS, so that should influence your opinion. If you know that you might want to have an easier option in changing, if you're going to take a single degree, then it'll be easier to shift from maths to CS or vice versa, um, which is might might also be a strong argument as to why it would be good to do a combined honours. Um, I still think it's a really good idea that if you know that you're passionate about something that is really different and you're knowing this now um, and you're recognising that kind of that passion that you have, then I don't think there should be anything stopping you from wanting to go and do uh, a combined honours degree where one of those subjects, if it's maths or CS, the other one is philosophy. It would also do what I, you know, what I do for my degree, which ke- kind of keeps me sane in that I get to do English alongside some of the classics work because sometimes the classics side, depending on the module, can get a little heavy. Um, and it's really nice to have something to step away from and be completely different. Anony Moose gave, gave some really good advice, um, and I think their points are spot on especially with I'm a big believer in trying something uh, new instead of sticking with something only because it's part of your original plan Um, do something different if you're doing a combined honours you'll still be doing the maths and CS side which might be a bit more of a comfort zone and you still get to do something that's a little a little more challenging Um, I think yeah would be my uh, would be my thoughts well, that, that was the crisis from last week. Um, and we do have several crises this week. So bear in mind, reader, this is where you come in. So what we've been reading are, are emails from our anonymous readers um, who have emailed into spongyelectric.gmail.com with crisis response in the subject mm. line. We're now going to read out another crisis from a reader uh, in need. Um, and so we want to get your opinions. And so if you um, are listening to this podcast uh, pretty soon after it was released, please do um, email in uh, basically as soon as possible, really, because we, we actually record quite soon after we release. So if you have an opinion on this, and it can be very short, it can be quite long, as these these guys have been writing in this episode, um, please please do email in. Um, and equally, if you are in a crisis, you can also send in your crisis to spongyelectricgmail.com with crisis corner in the subject line and we will anonymize everything sent to it and um and, and read them out in a future episode but mm. shall, I, shall i read out next the crisis for this week daniel yeah please do this week anonymous writes. oh no sorry it's not anonymous it's a no-no goose nice uh i like that a lot a no-no goose writes in they write more and clark I am in a bit of a relationship crisis with myself and I desperately need help from you and the community on this one. My girlfriend and I met at middle school so we are now four years strong and still going. However, we both decided to take a gap year. She wanted to work and travel outside of... Do we want to say the country? Yeah, okay, let's say the country. She wanted to work and travel outside of Norway but I decided to join a... Folkehøyskole? Whoa. Volkahoy skull. I'm nice. very sorry. It's it, it's it, it's Norse. I don't know how to pronounce that. And enjoy the outdoor life back home. Although we were prepared and talked about how we would deal with a long distance relationship, two and a half hours drive, some things have come up. She's constantly missing having me close, but for some reason I'm not in the same situation. 
And to make it worse, I have met a lovely lady at school which I really click with. I will not say that I am a master at reading signs, but there's definitely a connection. I have feelings like attraction, butterflies, etc. Am I wrong for feeling this? The thing is, I can't help thinking that a life with this girl would be better than the one I'm in a relationship with now. I've talked about this girl with my girl... Whoa! I've talked about this girl with my girlfriend and mentioned how easy it is to have another girl I can open up to and converse with on a similar level. Finally, I really do care for and love my girlfriend, but I've grown so fond of this other girl. Everything I could ask for. Gorgeous, lovely parents, fit, extrovert, so on and so on. Hopefully you and all the other love doctors can assist me on this one. Regards, a no-no goose. Crikey. Well, wow. if there's anything that's going to tempt readers to, uh, to, to message in, I think it's going to be this, uh, this crisis, crisis from a no-no goose. If you are um, a love doctor, please send in your largely mm. uneducated opinions on this relationship, because that's what we're going to be doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but wow, that's an interesting one. Okay, well, thank you, a no-no goose, for writing in. Everyone else, if you're listening to this right now, I want your opinion. I want mm. your opinion. Email in spongyelectric.gmail.com. Put crisis response in the subject line and we'll read out your messages anonymized next week. So it's the last It's the last uh, section of the podcast. It's Correspondence Corner. Um, we've got a load of, 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 of really great correspondence for you, so we're going to have to be really brutal and kind of pick and choose what we want. But before we do anything, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Vignesh. Um, those of you who have been listening for a while may remember um, this wonderful human being managed to send us some Theo's chocolate uh, as, uh, as as from the, from the previous, I think it was episode 40... Three, I, I can't think. remember. It was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, where we spoke about Theo's Theo's chocolate, which is a, a company in America, and they also do. We found a ghost chili chocolate. Uh, Vignesh was an absolute hero and managed to package some up, send it uh, across the pond over to Exeter Cathedral, where I received an email saying there was a pack- package waiting for me. I have since retrieved the package, taken it home, uh, and and tucked in. You greedy um, bastard. And had one of the small little blocks. There are still three left. I will take them with me um, next time I see Simon. Um, but it's yeah, it's delicious. It's really lovely. It's not an overpowering heat. It's just nice, warm kind of. It's it's really superb. But thank you so much, Vignesh, um, for for sending that to us. It's brilliant. I love it. You're an I absolute hero. I can't wait hero. to try it. But yeah, um, can we get a round of applause for Vignesh, please? Because that is yeah. unbelievable just, work. Just marvelous. You, you crazy bastard! You sent us, you sent us chocolate from a company that we randomised on a podcast about Wikipedia. Just and just incredible. And speaking speaking of chocolate, we actually have an email here from uh, Matilda. Oh, I'm gonna oh, absolutely. You're it's actually from someone called Matilda. Matilda, Matilda. I'm gonna go with Bush, but it could be Bucher. The mighty know. Matilda Bush. Yeah. Um, Hi, guys. It seems like you are in quest for some delicious chocolate. As a proud Belgian, I cannot resist. I have uh, I have to send what Belgium do best, not to mention beer, waffles, uh, speculos and ah, speculos. Now, I'm pretty sure that is the um, the like the chocolate, like hundreds and thousands that you have on toast. I thought it was a medical. Oh, no, that's a speculum. Yes. (laughs) 
Um, Speculose, I think, is the is the stuff. I think that's what it is. I can't okay. have to Google it, but um, and chips, all very healthy food, by the way. Um, if you have an address, I'll gladly send you some. Thanks for keeping up with the long content, uh, Mathilda. Uh, wow. Nineteen and sixteen twenty fourths. P.S. Sorry for sorry. my English mistakes. No mistakes there, Mathilda. It was absolutely spot on. Um, thank you for that. Um, Dan, I would leave it up to you to re- reply with your cathedral address. I will. I will indeed. That would be uh, that would be amazing, Mathilda. You're very kind. Fantastic. So um, I I somewhat egotistically have chosen the next email. Um, This is from James Mumford, um, because the subject line is in response to Simon's YouTube rant. (laughs) Yeah, that one where you just didn't shut up. Yeah, so I have a lot of feelings, all right? I'm like the girl from Mean Girls. Um, So James writes, Dear Mrs. Clark and Moore, as much as Simon feels his incessant fixation on the YouTube meta may alienate a large portion of the readers, as he feels the need to address it in the show notes and apologise for it week on week, guilty, I can assure you it is quite the contrary. Most, if not all, of the Wikicast's initial clump of readers came directly from Simon's channel and thus are well acquainted with the platform, and those who continue to stay week on week do, I promise, find your insight interesting. That's good. Um, I do, though, want to make a few points concerning your rant in episode 45. Um, here we go. So this is, I'm just going to read this out, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to censor this. Um, when you refer to quality content and how much knowledge one has gained as a metric for a video's success, this is, as you quite rightly point out, subjective. You are naturally biased towards your own content, and that's fair, as the natural predisposition of a YouTuber is narcissism and a sense of self-righteousness. I, in fairness, I will add that the predisposition of one who chooses to spend time sending multiple emails into a podcast week on week is probably that of loneliness and delusion. <laughs> Further, I appreciate that you conduct yourself in the manner in which you do on line due to financial gain not being your primary concern. What I feel you fail to acknowledge though is that just because someone else's online content is driven by financial gain and may not live up to your ideals of quality content, this does not make said content inherently unimportant. You have often come across as proposing that your videos are the few gems and an overwhelming heap of horse <laughs> oh wow! Uh, and that the primary focus of every internet consumer should be to continue to wade through the heap until they finally stumble across you, the Holy Grail. In short, that entertainment for entertainment's sake or manipulation of a market there for the taking are somehow lesser endeavours than joining you on your pursuit for knowledge. Honestly, I tend to agree with you. Um, however, I don't think this is the mindset I suspect you and I share is entirely fair. So that's interesting. Um, I feel like I feel like yeah, it's a fair point that YouTube is definitely sort of the the nature of someone who puts their life online and, and makes content for um not necessarily financial gain as being the first bottom line um mm. is narcissism and so yeah i feel like everyone is inclined to think that they their stuff is the best thing on the internet Do you feel, I, I think I, that's I mean, true of any person in a career in a where their profession is a <clears throat> personal creative project and outlet you know because you have to true you have to toot your own trumpet at times otherwise you'll never be heard this is true. This is very true. Um, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to say that I don't think my stuff uh, um, are is the best stuff on the on YouTube by a long way. I definitely know the shortcomings of my own work. Um, I do, I suppose, view my videos as... Yeah, I suppose I do view them as being kind of like uh, gems in the sense that a lot of work and dedication has gone into them. And they do seem to be sometimes lost in a bunch of content that is quite lazily made. Um, mm. that's not to say that I think that the people that make that stuff are themselves like pieces of shit. Um, mm. and that I am, a, I myself am a gem. Um, but you know, what was the phrase? Um, just because someone else's content, online content is driven by financial gain and may not live up to your ideals of quality content. This does not make said content inherently unimportant. 
No, I, I, I feel that entertainment for entertainment's sake is important. Um, if you make something, for example, um, like Red Letter Media, who, I mean, admittedly, that's kind of educational because they do stuff about film. Perhaps that's a bad example. Someone like Hat Films, who just, just do entertaining content, they are just trying to be them and be funny um, and entertain. I think that's important in itself. It's the stuff that I just don't see any point to that I object to. It's the stuff that you just watch and it's like, why does this, like the Bohemian Rhapsodies of YouTube, like, why does this exist? You know? Mm. Um, so, but that, yeah, it's interesting to get that response. So there was another part of this email. Um, my second point is that with regards to your claim that you writing a book on your experience um, as an online creator in the current era would classify as important work. I think this too is subject to bias. I think that as time progresses, ours will be seen as, a men- as an immensely unimportant period. My feeling, which of course you have a right to disagree with, is that we should shall be looked back upon as simpletons with our sub-century lifespans and ethernet cables in a sort of medieval-esque black period in which things are assumed to have happened with no regards for the individual experience. Well, in truth, this is quite the rabbit hole because eventually those who look back upon us shall also perish, as with all things. I think that's the key thing, right? That's, that's you know, any um, time in history you could look back on as being an unimportant time because, I don't know, you could look back at the Victorians and say, well, you know, they didn't have internet. They We don't have the records of... Um, uh, you know how these people were, were subjected to large amounts of information. You know, people in two hundred years will probably think the same way. We're not subjected to the information that they, that people in you know, a couple of centuries will be subjected to on a daily basis. Um, mm. But I still feel like you know, if if um, I don't know the way I feel, the way I feel about the sort of online creators as an industry is is kind of like a wild west period at the moment. In that there is no real legislation. It's kind of a free for all. Everyone's still trying to work out how it works. So I, I'd argue that I definitely argue that it's. A historically interesting time um the past decade or so of um of creating stuff on the internet i think will set a pattern for the way that things are, are going to be done in the future um this is of course subjective i completely agree with you james um but i don't know i i, don't, I definitely think that the, this sort of decade will be viewed as an important time for the way that stuff is made on the internet um if more for our follies than for our, our triumphs. I mean, what, do, do you agree, Dan? Yeah, I guess it's this is something that I'm slightly more removed from because I'm not a creator, right? Yeah. I think I, I, I absolutely understand where James is coming from in his, his email. Um, I also think that I think the most, the, the most interesting thing is the whole just because someone else's online content is driven by financial gain and may not live to your ideals of quality content this does not make said content inherently unimportant um i don't think that you think that i don't think you think that um Mm. but i think it's very easy to um for that to be the first point of attack when that that kind of initial impetus is you for you driven because you have a desire and a passion to make something and someone else has a desire and passion to make money um it's very easy to kind of separate them at that point but yeah the whole you know online media it's such a it's such a minefield um it's quite hard i'm not sure i really have an opinion to be honest Mm. (laughs) um because i'm not a creator i'm sure that would change if i did start to you know do my own stuff but yeah so the the last thing which james has, has written is um uh, an interesting question actually how did you quantify the importance of your potential book simon and how do you cope with existential dread asking for a friend well i cope with existential dread by lying in bed at night and thinking to myself i'm going to die one day eventually the blackness will not be blackness because i will not be there to see it um mm. 
and that happens several nights a week um you just get used to it really you embrace the fact that you're going to die and you have a finite number of heartbeats in your life and every passing one he says clasping his throat every one that you feel leave your body is one that you're not going to get back you just get used to it i think that's nice nice cheery end to the halloween special <laughs> well well and the other thing is how do you quantify the importance of your potential book um i think it is important if it contributes information to uh, a wide audience that was not available to them and in some way enriches decisions that they make in that it's information which um influences um at least one person to change one decision uh but uh, you know because at the, at, the, at the end of the day the, my philosophy on doing stuff online is the most dangerous thing in the world is ignorance and the most valuable thing you can do as a person is to uh dispel ignorance and educate and you know if 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 people have access to other people's perspectives and the information that they might not have had access to then diff- various different decisions over in recent history for example would have been very very different um and so I think my book, if I were to, to write a book on, you know, being an online creator and a sort of the history of um, the, the, the first few years of creating on YouTube, I think it would be important if it in some way um, factors in to decisions that people make in the future, whether that is how you view um, online content, how you create online content, or how you legislate online content. Um, I think that would be important. And one of the chapters that I'd like to do is um, a history of online video, like the first couple, mm. of, the first decade or two of, of online video up to Twitch and YouTube. Um, and I think that could be of, of importance in itself, just as a sort of historical document. This was a, a testimony of the time, a primary source of someone who was there um, with other sources, of course. It's not just my opinions. Um, but that in itself would be an important asset for future historians. Um mm potentially uh because yeah because i do think this this period of internet history is important so that's how i yeah. classify as important uh evaluating the 20 minutes i spent on this email in regret james mumford that was a great thank email. james thank you james. yeah i have a very brief uh, bit of correspondence here from aragon and no i'm not kidding <laughs> um, hi Dan and Simon. I'm not sure if you guys already know about uh, know this, but I thought I'd um, you'd appreciate one of the most important music uh, YouTube channels of all time. Uh, it's YouTube.com/user/slash, and I'm going to spell it to you: G E R U B A C H Gerubach, as in the composer. Oh yes, this is yeah. Gerubach, and I've no, I I know this channel, and I've used it before, um, and it's a brilliant resource. Um, yeah, this is Gerubach. They are just uh, dedicated to creating scrolling score videos for every single JS Bach piece for educational purposes, and have already completed a number of the most important works: Art of Fugue, Musical Offering, Well Tempered Clavier, etc. It would mean a lot if you mentioned it on the podcast um, and brought more attention to this incredibly valuable project. It's absolutely brilliant, and it's so mm. important, as I say, for educational purposes, but just also to you know, to keep it, to keep this music alive and accessible. Um, so yes, Aragorn, I absolutely will. It's cheers, Aragorn. Yes, my parents named me after a Lord of the Rings character. That is Oh, awesome. Jesus, that's not his online name. His actual name is Aragorn. Yeah, yeah. Wow. How that's cool awesome. That? Wow. I mean, and yeah, and, and, and very true. Uh, Squalling mm. Bark and also Smalin, Smalin, um, mm. does, does similar stuff, doesn't he? Um, but yes, very, very true. Um, I love watching Scrolling Score videos. Like you just get so much more out of listening to music. There's one more very, very quick uh, correspondence we have that you'll be able to help with, Simon, um, mm-hmm. from Grace. 
she says, Hi, Simon and Dad. Uh, do you need... Uh, do you need to have read his Dark Materials before Book of Dust? I haven't read either, but don't know where to start. Or if I'm past the age, I would enjoy it not having the nostalgic connection. Best, Grace, P.S. She's attached a picture of a puppy she was uh, babysitting, and it's adorable. Oh, what? Hang on, I'm going to have a look at the puppy. Um, do you have to have read... Oh, it's a cute... Oh, that is a cute girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like a teddy bear. Oh, Parker. That is adorable. Mm. Um... Do you have to have read this Dark Materials for Book of Dust? You don't have to, but I think it would enhance your um, enjoyment of the book a great deal. I would recommend reading his Dark Materials first, because I feel like as an introduction to the world, his Dark Materials is better than La Belle Sauvage. So I'd, I'd start with Northern Lights and work forward. And I definitely think you'll enjoy it. My dad reread them recently, um, and he's he's a grown-ass man. He's 64. So mm. like you, you definitely are not too old to enjoy them. Like, um, like the Zulane. Zulane, sixty-four Zulane. Oh yeah, well, uh, well, the the song we were always referring to uh, with him was the Beatles. Oh he, yeah, he now can never sing that song because he's already yeah. sixty-four. Well, with that though, I do have a uh, a delightful, a, a a truly delightful email from the one, the only Dan Hanvey. Okay, here we go. And it, uh, the subject line is: Why do Danish warships have barcodes on the sides? First line of the email, so they can Scandinavian. Yeah, very nice. Very good. Uh, Greetings both. I realised after my last email that I didn't really give an account of my time out here thus far, so here goes. So for those of you who don't know, Dan V is our longest, dearest reader, um, supported the show for a very, very long time, and we love him to absolute bits, uh, and is currently in Denmark. And he writes, first off, Denmark really is delightful. If you like a place that's clean, orderly, and promotes forms of travel other than cars, brackets, public transport, cycling, and walking... It's amazing. I reckon I've lost around three kilos whilst out here from cycling every day. They even have large areas of the train dedicated to transporting your bike, not these stupid two bikes per carriages rule that we have in Britain. Roads have raised, dedicated cycle paths, drivers respect cyclists, and bike racks are everywhere. It is truly the land of two-wheeled supremacy. Secondly, the cultural aspects. From the tumultuous history of Denmark, Sweden and Norway to their royal family to Copenhagen's own history, there's so much to keep you occupied. I made a trip out to Legoland a few weeks ago and was able to relive some of my childhood in the spiritual home of Lego. Photos attached. And oh my god, I want to go to Legoland, Dan. Mm. I went when I was very little and I remember absolutely loving it. What, the one in um, Denmark? No, no, the the one in the UK. Oh, uh, Windsor, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the for those of you who are listening. Uh, this is a, a a scale replica of what looks to be Docking Bay ninety four from uh, A New Hope, uh, with the Millennium Falcon in it. And the Millennium Falcon looks like it's about six foot across. Um, that's nuts. Um, and then also a life sized, as in human sized X wing fighter. That's cool. awesome. Um, uh, and Danvi continues everyone speaks excellent English but I'm still learning Danish maybe I'll escape out here in the future who knows well that's a good that's a promising sign when you visit somewhere and you immediately want to learn the language so you can move there um, I feel like that, that says it all um, and he writes in my downtime I even wrote chapter 2 of a rather strange adventure I could feel my writing devolve in true fanfiction style maybe if I were to expand it out I wouldn't feel so rushed but perhaps the ridiculous premise prevents this please find attached much love to you both keep being around and I hope to see you both soon MC Wheezy <laughs> oh Dan I miss you I miss you Dan V um, well we haven't had a fan fiction for a while and I realised that some people have been waiting to have theirs read out for a while but this just feels right 
to um to read this one out so what was a rather strange adventure part one <laughs> we, we read it didn't we did we or didn't we no we didn't so we oh man we we have chapters one and two of a fan fiction then do we want to read both of them out <laughs> i reckon we can do one all right let's do one and then uh and then we can do the second one next week okay well seeing as i read out his email would dan would you like to do the honors of Absolutely. reading out a rather strange adventure a rather strange adventure chapter one Nestled away in a calm back road of Exeter stood a small brick house. It had doors, windows, and suitable foundations. Everything you could want in a house, but nothing that made it stand out in a way that houses sometimes do. Many people had lived in this house, but two of its more recent residents had been Dan Moore and Simon Clark. I say had, as Simon had moved out to move to another part of the country. He had moved hundreds of miles to live with Pixel Girl, his girlfriend slash long-suffering carer, and was now working as a man who told people interesting things about science on the internet. Not that the subject of science on the internet contained many topics, so Simon had quickly expanded out to science in the real world as well. He had been doing the job while in Exeter too, and since his new house was also brick and did not stand out, not a lot had really changed, leading Dan to wonder why Simon had bothered to move at all. Dan shook his head to clear these thoughts from his mind, as the bowl of suds cooled in front of him. Simon, he called over his shoulder, is uh, is there anything else to wash up? Simon, visiting for the weekend, was sprawled on the sofa, feeling full from dinner, and was trying to get a funny metallic taste from his mouth. No, he replied. You got it all there. I think I've cut my gums, he added as an afterthought, passing his tongue over them, giving the impression he had temporary Botox lip- limp plumping. Go <laughs> what and, is uh, this, go and, Dan <laughs> Go and check the bathroom, said, Dan, said Dan's voice from the kitchen. I don't want to have to try and clean blood off the sofa. I've barely got this wine off of it. Psyching himself up, Simon willed his body to stand, swinging his arms forward to gain momentum. He had eaten a lot of dinner and was somewhat regretting it. Wiggling a finger in his ear to try and clear a faint ringing that had started, he made his way slowly upstairs. Dan? He called out. You know, you know this mirror's cracked. He examined the lines in the reflective surface, which carved out a strange pattern across the smooth, cold glass. He thought he recognised the design, but quickly dismissed the idea, which he really shouldn't have done. Yeah, came the reply. Second time this week, I've no idea how. No one's admitted to it, and we haven't had any parties. Simon quickly examined his gums. There was no sign of any damage, and the taste was gone. He shrugged internally, then headed back downstairs. Dan was now sat on the sofa, gently pressing his lips. You know, he said, I think I've cut my mouth as well. I can taste metal. How strange, Simon thought, as his foot reached the bottom step of the stairs. Suddenly, the metallic taste was back, stronger now. Dan, Simon inquired, could could you taste metal in the kitchen? No, only, uh, only here, Dan began. Den began. <laughs> Dan began, before a confused look passed across his face. Can, can you hear that? The noise was back in Simon, Simon's ears too, a high-pitched ringing like a smoke alarm that someone had made sentient, given cocaine, then thrown towards the Thames fireworks barges on New Year's. Before Simon could reply, both men jumped in astonishment. A ball of light had appeared in the middle of the room. This is going somewhere, I could just tell, okay... <laughs> It made no fuss, as balls of light are often not given to displays of extravagance. It just existed in the middle of the room, whereas it previously did not. 
Simon and Dan had both be- um, made their ways to the back of the room, Dan's hand fumbling behind him for the door to the garden. Both men were so transfixed by the now growing ball of light, which was becoming more intense, throwing lights to part of the room where no light had found its way before. They hadn't even noticed they could no longer hear the ringing, or taste metal. With an almighty flash, the ball of light pulsed one last time and disappeared. In its place were three figures. The first was a man with wiry gingerish hair, a towel around his shoulders, and a large smile. Oh, the second, I know what this is be. a taller man with a red coat, had long hair, and Dan was astounded to realise two heads. The thirds were shorter than the others and had a very large head and limbs that looked as if they were made from titanium. Because they were. In the split second before anyone said anything, Simon noticed the first man had a book in his hands, which on the back said, Don't panic. In large, friendly letters. We've been written into the Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy. Oh, God. Zark, explained Zapbod Beeblerocks. Marvin, <laughs> where are we now? End of chapter one. Oh my god, that copyright infringement just narrowly avoided. Yeah. Oh my god. Damn, that was superb. Into the, into the, oh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right, okay, we now exist in so many fictional universes. You've got to tune in next week to see what happens in chapter two. I swear one day we're just going to have to do an episode that is just fan fictions. We've got so many queued up. Yeah, there are loads. Bloody hell. Thank you to everyone who writes them in. Thank you, Danvi, for that. Uh, I yeah. can't wait to see where that... Like, that set everything up quite neatly. I, it really I, did. I'm very, very interested to see where this goes now. Okay, thank you so much, Danvi. But with that, 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 that is enough for this episode. So, Simon, what have we learnt today? Today, Dan, we learned very little about Parade of the Lost Souls, which is an event in Vancouver that really doesn't have a very good Wikipedia article, but it's spooky. Uh, And we talked about uh, our respective Halloweens. Are you going to Amsterdam? We did. With the terror of riding a tandem. Tandem of terror. That's a a movie poster waiting to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, us being ill. And then we, in critics, what was your, and your piece of the week was? Uh, The Derufle Requiem. And mine, mine little in Dan's shadow was the uh, exhortation by um, uh, by John Taverner, and then uh, we spoke about Bohemian Rhapsody and First Man. Yes, yes, uh, a bit about Name of the Wind. Yes, a little bit about uh, a Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yes, and we didn't even touch on the Bake Off final, which is bullshit. No. Uh, <laughs> absolute bullshit. Um, uh, Brian, he should have won the whole thing anyway. Um, and uh, then we then we had a very interesting crisis come in this week. Uh, we had some ver- great responses to last week's crises. Hopefully, we, we were able to help Anono Moose um, with their crisis. But this week's crisis is the doozy uh, about basically when do you jump ship in relationships? Uh, please do, uh, please do email in with that one. And then we had a rather full correspondence corner, including a fan fiction from the yeah. one only Danvi. It's lovely to uh, lovely to hear from Dan and and indeed everyone who writes in. If you want to write in, spongyelectric at gmail dot com. Um, thank you again to Vignesh for sending us the chocolate mm. uh, and Mathilda. I will be in contact uh, with my next order. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. You can like us on Facebook. And if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Belgian chocolate, spooky tandem stories, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole. And And we'll we'll see see you next time. time.
Cool. Oh, Jesus, I've not been recording. What? No, I'm joking. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) What? Can you imagine? Oh, God, I can. That's the most terrifying thing. (laughs) Right, I'm stopping recording. We would have just had a conversation like two normal humans. We wouldn't have recorded it and got any content out of it. Heaven forbid. 